welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. When I was a child, back, quite frankly, it's becoming the olden days, Christmas had a dual nature, much like Christ himself. Christ, of course, was man and God. Christmas recognized those two distinct natures in a way, yet celebrating one event, for it was celebrated by mostly everyone, as both religious and secular. It was just about as much about baby Jesus as it was about Santa Claus. And even if folks were not super religious, baby Jesus was part of the seamless garment of the holiday. At least, he hadn't yet been banished from the Christmas scene, which is ironic, as the holiday, at least for now, still encompasses his name. Now, there really are two completely separate holidays, distinct indeed, but no longer one in the relationship to Jesus Christ. And the secular one seems to be holding sway. And the religious, and now its unfavored nature, is under more restriction than is the secular one, which itself is being remade, as is the whole society, by the coronavirus pandemic, lockdown, and into the foreseeable future. Today, uh, as Christmas is next Friday, before the next podcast, I'm going to talk about how my ordinary Catholic self is trying to handle each one of these now very separate holidays. Some of you may see no issue, no problem, and are perfectly content with the holiday as it is now expressed, even during this period of the last nine months, and uh, as I said, in the foreseeable future. And then maybe some of you are experiencing some of the same difficulties that I have myself. So let's start with the secular version. You know, Santa, elves, the tree, knickknacks of the season gathered through decades, pretty wrapped packages, snowflakes, little colorful flashing lights, family and friend gathering together in conviviality, of which Jesus Christ is no longer a foundational part. Disclosure or disclaimer. I have never been particularly enamored of this time of year, the secular version, even when I was a child. I wouldn't precisely call it the result of trauma. I suppose it was essentially my, quote, fault in that I was an over-observant child, perhaps oversensitive, and I was aware of many of the nuances of adult interactions which seemed to be mostly, at that time of year, even more than usual, defined by tension, especially during the Christmas holidays. I'm guessing that's not unusual for many families. I've grown up enough to know that this is how life is. But my particular experience of the holiday in the Mount Eden area of the Bronx was not something I looked forward to yearly. Pretty much the entire membership of my mother's immediate family lived in the same tripart, five-story brick walk-up. My mother's youngest sister actually lived right next door to us on the fourth floor of the middle building, and we shared a fire escape. Every year, one of the sisters who lived in one of the other thirds of the tenement would have a Christmas party at her apartment. The travel was easy. We simply went one flight up to the roof 
and walked over to her side of the building and down to her place. It always started off civil enough. My mother, my father, her three sisters, the husbands of my mother, the two of the sisters, and of course their mother, my Irish grandmother, snacked on appetizers and listened to international music and Christmas carols sung in those days by Andy Williams or Perry Como or Dean Martin or even Bing Crosby, punctuated by the chipmunks and chattered about surface things. My aunt took moving film using an archaic camera with blinding lights, but as the alcohol flowed, my child tension increased as ambiguous resentments, from my point of view, they're probably very clear to all of them, rose to the surface. But of course, I was a child, and I loved trips to Rockefeller Center, ice skating, to which my father took me and my little grammar school friends, and yes, I loved the gifts and snow days. As far as the tensions of those days, as I said, as I've grown older and hopefully wiser, I have concluded that what we call dysfunction is really a commonality among human beings, I suppose, again, the result of sin. So there is no longer a bitterness about it where some, or a lot really, did exist when I was a child. As I got older and I returned to the faith, my affection for the secular side thus grew a bit. There were gatherings either held by my father or my friends on the secular side with gift exchanges, but now, in this later time of my life, after I turned 30, I was very involved in the liturgy of Catholicism and shared the faith with other struggling Catholics. My father would join me in his 85th year, converting to Catholicism, and as I had wished for as a child, he joined me at Mass weekly. He even became an usher. I suppose, maybe even like myself, despite my efforts otherwise, his faith was more often conditional and questioning. But I liked the idea that both the secular and the sacred were now something we shared. Before and after he died, the gatherings at a friend's home continued, and I was fully immersed in the Catholic celebration of Christ's birth. I enjoyed the secular ritual nearly as much as the religious one, even though the two natures of the holiday were becoming incompatible in terms of the world at large. You would notice that there were fewer religious cards in the stores, and specifically Christ-oriented music was less part of the store music. Displays of creches, and other such religious symbols were limited by legal recourse to private property. But still, one could manage to find some joy in the secular celebration, and for the Catholic, more in the liturgy backed by angelic choir on Christmas Eve or day or both. I haven't had a tree in my apartments since the early years of my immigration from the Bronx to Los Angeles. There's no statement in that, political, religious, or otherwise, but it is because I am a cat owner and have been since those days, and I learned that trees were a hazard and the bulbs didn't survive even the first days of placement. But I've always had little decorative items around that they wouldn't destroy or bat about or didn't care about, a wreath on the door, and while I still and always prefer spring and summer to fall and winter, there was a certain anticipation to the festivities. So, 
here we are with that sort of prelude in the year 2020. The religious Easter was banned to the churches when the coronavirus was introduced to humankind. At that point, no masses were allowed, inside or outside. There was absolutely no access to the sacraments, the seven sacraments, and especially those, for example, of the rite of the anointing of the sick. People who were going to die were going to die alone because people were afraid to let any priest near them because of the fear of the infection. Real communion was replaced by spiritual communion, and the people who bring communion to the sick were not allowed to do so, and many times that included the priest himself. I'm not, in this podcast, going to challenge the logic of the last nine months and what's beginning again as of the last couple of months, in part because I do not wish to risk the ire of many who think that it was and remains essential, particularly at this holiday season where I'd like to maintain goodwill. And that anyway is not the particular point of this podcast. The point is how it's affected me and perhaps others of my fellow citizens and religionists as a Catholic Christian. It's tussling with how I'm seeing the secular Christmas and struggling to keep in my heart and mind the foundation of the secular Christmas and the birth of Jesus Christ and having outside services that I and my fellow parishioners are now blessed enough to have on the occasion of this holiday as permitted by our state government. On the secular side, I have admiration for those who are still decorating their homes and putting up their Christmas trees. My neighbor, a former character actor of nearly 90, put his Christmas wreath on his door just the other day. I admit, I have always been a bit of a pessimist, a glass-half-empty kind of girl, so that may account for my down disposition in large part. But I, and I don't think I'm alone in this, have been fighting a profound demoralization and disinterest in anything that the secular world has to proffer about a holiday, the foundation of which they despise, and have disconnected from its raison d'etre, its reason of being. It would indeed be more logical, whether or not there was a pandemic lockdown, to enshrine the Festivus coined by Jerry Seinfeld and leave the religionists to have their recognition of the birth of Christ. I've tried to keep that demoralization from happening to me. I've immersed myself in the Hallmark Channel its multiple movies of old-time type Christmases. Girl goes home to her old small town and rediscovers the simple pleasures of Christmas cookies and trees and lights and snowflakes and reconnects with an old childhood flame and discovers the true meaning of love. I was perked up a bit last night running again across Going My Way, a movie made in 1944 with Bing Crosby about a young priest sent to save a financially challenged parish, which I've mentioned here before. But last night, I watched it for the first time in a long while. I wasn't around in 1944, but I was some not-so-few laters when Catholicism and the world still looked like this, where innocence and ideal was still striven for, with sin something one fought against, and a nation believed in higher foundational values and 
the values coincided with the Judeo-Christian tradition. But all watching that movie did was to emphasize that what used to be a somewhat a real vision of a secular Christmas is now nothing more than a memory of a time long gone and a pure fantasy to retrieve. I listened to some of the traditional instrumental holiday songs and at first I felt cheerful and then it seemed my stomach sank in sadness because that's not the world in which we are living in. And many people think that that old world was garbage. And while it was imperfect, as all things human are imperfect, what it did have was an innocence and an idealism that is just seems to be gone, despite words that are used to convey idealism. No idealism is really actually ever demonstrated. It did make me feel better to, and I'm looking at them as I'm recording, to post some of the Christmas cards I have received this year. And I have to say, these are totally sua sponte um, on the door. They perk me up. They make me happy. And the reason even more they make me happy is because in the last few years, I haven't been sending Christmas cards. I've tended to either call or email where I could instead. I am definitely, though, in a secular Christmas funk, pure and simple. I will be going to our small yearly gathering, but even that has a cloud because as more positive cases of coronavirus are occurring and as we are being told that we should not go outside, uh, that has a cloud too because it's considered as selfish to leave my home, mask though I will be, to eat dinner with friends. Socializing now has both become an anxiety matter and a stigmatizing matter applied by those who believe that that we will die if we go out. Uh, and I do wish death could be banished from the earth, but not the way human beings try to banish it, it seems to me. But again, I don't want to make this a discussion of the debate about how our leaders have handled the pandemic. What about religious Christmas? Well, thanks to the administrations of the leaders of our state who have complete control over the leaders of the Catholic Church and other churches. Oops, a bit of a political statement, sorry. The glorious gloom of, in my view, over-the-top public protection has wafted in that direction as well. The three kings had to travel afar, literally, to worship the babe in the manger. God become man, breaking into time to redeem us from our self-imposed suffering. We, at least, I, have to travel afar psychologically and spiritually to do the same during this unprecedented time in human history. It's only more distressing because so many people who do not share Catholicism pronounce that it is sufficient to pray at home and that attending Mass to them just mere church-going is not essential. And you feel guilty in trying to correct people who do not understand the nature of the sacraments because it's not something that they're aware of, but it also is so dismissive of the people who do practice the faith. So one feels a very deep urge to correction, what we call in Catholic circles fraternal correction. 
I guess I can't help making this a bit of an objection and someone might say political even though really it's it's so close to the religious aspect so close to the needs of the spiritual world that I can't separate them because it's not primarily the state's behavior that is so deeply wounding it's as I've lamented here before the troubling words and behavior of the Catholic Church's public shepherds that have been percolating for 50 years now and now seem to be coming to a problematic fruition today. Just yesterday I read a an update about the cause for the beatification of Servant of God Fulton J. Sheen, the first well-known Catholic television evangelist, prophet of the society in which we now live. His cause was stopped cold on the eve of his beatification by the bishops themselves and the Vatican, allegedly related to a brief period in which he was the leader of a segment of the church where sexual misconduct occurred by another priest. It has already been investigated as part of the cause for his state as venerable and a servant of God and blessed, but suddenly our own church stopped it. Over a year has gone by and there hasn't been a word. While the dead man's reputation, just by the very nature of the cessation of the cause, continues to be besmirched. There's no transparency, just essentially the silence of the damned. And then there is the nativity scene outside the Vatican, which is, from my point of view, an abomination, a parody of the Holy Family disguised as art. There is the blessing and congratulation to Joe Biden, who has raised cafeteria Catholic to an art form and who has appointed people who will not only move forward the agenda of abortion, but in fact will promote it with great assertion and against the Catholic Church. And these folks, people like Joe Biden, uh, are apparently approved by the Pope and other cardinals, a slap in the face to any Catholic who has tried against all odds to remain faithful, especially to the right of life of the child in the womb. There is the wink-wink to the conduct of McCarrick and his ilk. I just mentioned in passing the Pachamama, the idol paraded around the Vatican in the spirit of ecumenism in the earlier part of the year, and, as I found out, a plant in the pot of the Pachamama that had been put on the altar of St. Peter during a mass celebrated there in October of 2019 that basically is a sacrilege. Someone sent me an article today that pointed out that since that time, the Pope has not celebrated mass on that main altar. And despite court cases, including one in the Supreme Court of the United States, saying that a governor did not have the right to restrict churches and their services inside, our leaders in several states, like California, have made no move to bring the parishioners back from the outside. I Again, I feel badly because I said, you know, I don't want to get too political, but this is directly affecting the spiritual life of the people, of the Catholic people, of all religious people. And so it, it can't be just dismissed as, oh, you're talking politically. It's going to the heart of people's lives. It's enough for emotional and spiritual paralysis. The crux, though, and it's interesting how 
as I'm thinking about these podcasts, stuff sort of develops that helps me sort it all out, at least for the podcast. It doesn't necessarily help me sort it out for my own feelings during the week or concerns or worries or anxieties, but I guess it keeps me going. The crux goes back to pain and suffering. The whole point of the life of a believer is to trust God, who was born, was crucified, and died, to redeem us from the sin that led to our suffering, to this very suffering, arguably, and to endure that consequence suffering to follow him into glory. But I'm fighting to do that in terms of my own participation in the religious liturgy, which celebrates the moment God broke into time. I have continued to go to Mass through all of this pandemic, where it was permitted, when it was permitted, in the locations it was permitted. But for the most part, I have lacked any sense of, let's call it passion, which is related to the word suffering, as you know. Feeling. I go, but I can't seem to connect it to anything, despite how powerful our Lord's grace is. I always mention in these podcasts, particularly when, as of late, I am feeling particularly gloomy, that I don't know where they will go, and inevitably they seem to go to hope. It surprises even me when it comes out that way. So, on Thursday night, well, closer to Friday morning as my sleeping hours are erratic, I was checking the net and I saw an article about a terrifying cyber attack on our key computer systems via a company called SolarWinds that in the middle of the babble of Facebook and the mainstream media is just this last couple of days starting to have widespread traction. Some national player, the debate is over, is it Russia, is it China? Who knows at this point? Not sure it matters given the profound cataclysm it portends has hacked into systems that go directly to our power grid and includes our nuclear weapons systems. I saw another cheerful article from a Facebook friend congratulating Microsoft, one of the victims, for successfully combating the hack. But that's the thing. In reading many other articles last night, and not from political sources, it became clear that the experts could easily think they have rooted out the intrusion, but not have done so so it's too early for self-congratulation. And the thing, though, it did for me was to put me in mind of something I have been an agnostic about until now, something that Catholics and some other Christians call the three days of darkness. Yes, it is a religiously apocalyptic concept that at the end of time, before Christ comes again, there will be three days of utter darkness and Even going outside, even looking outside, could be death or will be death. It will be devastating and it will kill, not unlike the plague that formed the occasion of the Passover. If you're interested in the three days of darkness and what a lot of people consider, you know, out there tinfoil stuff, uh, you can look it up, three days of darkness. Uh, There's a way for faithful Christians to weather it as judgment comes upon us. But... As I read about this hack, it did put me in mind of the three days of darkness. All light would be impossible in the evenings, at night, as it depends entirely on the grid. No power anywhere. Nothing. The prediction is that 99% of the population would be dead within days. You can laugh if you want. 
but I live in California where a little heat leads to power outages and fires in this technologically marvelous time. So I know it is real as the hack itself is real. I would have thought, though, given how I've been feeling and given the disconsolate direction of this week's podcast, that I would be ready for a mental institution, having read this piece of news that many will dismiss as just another conspiracy theory. But it has had, at least for now, for today, as of this moment speaking, an opposite effect on me. It has focused me on the religious aspect of Christmas, the part that still has a spark. Though it sounds as if everything is going to close down absolutely, completely, utterly again, where we can, right now, people are still attending Mass and will be able to go to Christmas Mass outside. Those parishes that are staying open for outside services are thriving abiding assiduously to social distancing and mask demands, of course, which will be available as long as possible. Things are really bad now, really bad. I don't know the day or the hour, none of us does, but the atmosphere right now, hearing this last, that we could be looking at the involuntary end of our very national being, our civilization, somehow, at least temporarily, and I hope permanently, ultimately, creates a determination me that passion I have been losing that I have feared was completely lost, not merely to practice my faith as some sort of obligation, but to embrace it in the midst of the suffering that is already upon us all and will increase as the days and months and years pass. I always come back, it seems, to the apostles saying, where are we to go, Lord? We will all have to experience whatever comes but to experience, to believe that God will have his way and that we can be with him as his good and faithful servants is a source of an optimism I almost never have. To borrow from the movie title, I have to go my way, which is really not my own, but his. I have to use prayer to remind myself, especially when the temptation always surrounding me is to be downtrodden and faithless. I have to keep saying something that I wish was more natural to me. Jesus, I trust in you until I really mean it. So whatever happens in these days, if I stay with Emmanuel, no matter what I feel, how the scatterer prompts me to run away, it will truly be all right. Difficult, but all right, because he is with us. Christmas is Christ's Mass. That is the derivation of the word we take so casually, both secularly and religiously. Anyway, pray. Have a blessed Christ Mass. May the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, be with us all in this trying time. with this public domain version of A Christmas Song, Silent Night. I say goodbye for this week and look forward to talking to you next week. If you're liking this show, please become a follower on my podbean.com website so that I know that I've got followers and it encourages me 
the gloomy gust that I sometimes am. So I thank you very much, and I wish you a merry and a blessed Christmas. <laughs>